Try Alitu, the number one platform for the best editing and recording experience. Welcome to a new podcast show about stuff. It's the show about stuff, the Stephen Davis Show. Here's you host, Stephen Davis. Hey to all. Welcome to the show about stuff, the Stephen Davis Show. My wonderful guest today is Deborah McFadder, the chairwoman of the North Carolina Music Hall of Fame and she is the daughter of the legendary and iconic singer, Clyde McFadder, the creator of the singing group, The Drifters, and the first artist that was voted twice into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Welcome, Deborah. How are you doing today? I am fantastic. Thanks for asking. I hear you were a New Yorker who abandoned us here in New York. I packed my bags. I got out of Dodge. (laughs) Let's start off, as I say every week, how I start off with, where did you make your entrance into the world? My entrance into the world was in April. I'm a spring Easter baby, actually in Jamaica, Queens. Okay, Jamaica. I had relatives out in Jamaica, lots of relatives. Okay. Out, out in Jamaica, oh, long, long time ago. Jamaica was the haven. Once you made it, that's where you went. The school system, I, I believe, rumor has it that it was better than being right there in Harlem and certain parts of Brooklyn. Yeah. And then fast forward to when I was born, then when you made it, to that level, you went across the county line and you left the city limits and you went into Nassau County. That's the way the migration happened from the South to Harlem and Uh into Queens and then into Long Island. That's when you really made it. (laughs) Oh yeah, definitely. Once you hit it. And you know what is, what would be so annoying to me? My family business was always in Queens on, on Merrick Boulevard, but when there was something going on either at the Apollo or anywhere in Manhattan, and you said to somebody, come on, let's go, let's get together, let's go in the city and do X, Y, Z. Very lazy. No, it's going in the city and the traffic. And (laughs) and I'm looking at them like, what the heck? Really? You're growing up in, in Jamaica. How was it? How long were you in Jamaica? Let's see. I never went to school. When I started school, I started school in Long Island, but I still live in Jamaica. Okay. I had my, my godparents uh, live in uh, Westbury. 
And so I was always enrolled in the Westbury school system, even when in moving to Lakeview, West Hempstead, I never went to school in that particular school district. Today, my parents would probably go to jail for that. That is definitely, you know, a, a no, no. But I've always had that connection with Queens because as a kid, on weekends, I still ended up back in Queens. My grandmother, at some point, she lived on Sufton Boulevard, Sufton and Linden Boulevard. Oh, and then wow. she got a house in Lakeview, Hopacon Avenue. That, that was our street, Hopacon Avenue. And then my mom and my stepdad, who I affectionately call Teddy, he and my mom bought a house in Hempstead. And that house was entirely too big for mom. So we that's when they moved to Lakeview across the street from my grandmother's um, house. And so even with that, every other day, I'm still back and forth in Queens because of our family businesses in Queens. And my parents, as, as Stephen, as, as fortunate as I was, they still made me work whenever I had free time. So Queens is, I know more about Queens than I knew about Long Island. Oh, uh, wherever you told me I could go in Queens, I could find it. How, how was it growing up at that particular period of time in history in Queens, from your perspective? I, I thought it was very different than Long Island. Girls always seemed to be... Um, I don't want to use the word fast, but they seem to know all the latest dances. They did all of their dancing better than what I saw people on Long Island do. The guys were always dressed in the leather jackets. And they just had that little bit of slickness about them that you didn't see on Long Island. I enjoyed it. I really enjoyed it. Yeah. How, how, how were you before you actually moved out to, to Long Island? How old was I? I would say I, I was probably about eight, about maybe seven or eight. Yeah, I can't pinpoint, but what I do, I, what I do remember in 1963, when President Kennedy was assassinated, I would have been 10 years old. And I, I know that we were living in Hempstead at that time when my mom, my, my mother is from Bermuda. And so when that happened, she just panicked because she thought that they would send everybody back to where they came from if you were not born and raised in America, in the USA. So I, re I was 10 then. So I would say it had to be around eight, seven or eight, because I remember being in the house for at least two years. Okay. Tell me about your parents. I had three extremely interesting parents, three, three, three interesting parents. But as my biological father is Clyde McFadder, who was a singing powerhouse, 
my mom, her name is uh, Lorraine, and she is she was from Bermuda, just an absolutely gorgeous woman, extremely smart. And then my stepdad, who, as I said, I called affectionately Teddy. He was just one magnificent human being. And I just, oh, what's before you is uh, a lot of his hard work and street smarts and my mother guiding the family in the way that she did. And what you see here is that outcome. And okay, and that is? My father and your biological father were best friends when they were growing up in the Bronx. Oh my goodness. (laughs) My mother used to talk about the friendship between your father and my father. (laughs) She was telling me stories about Steve was my father, Stephen Davis, and Clyde (laughs) when they were in high school. My goodness. <laughs> Isn't that? And, nice. and I didn't find that nice. out until nice. maybe about three, uh, just before my mother died, she would, she would talk about it. So that was just, and when I, and then when I was told about you, I said, ah, oh, I have to have her on the show. It just, ah, oh, I'm sorry, go ahead. I went to, oh, oh, I was going to say, I always enjoy meeting people that knew my dad. And in my travels and different shows that I do, there's always someone that will call in and say, I knew your dad. I was a friend of your dad. And that always makes me feel so good. Now, now let me let me give you a, a, even a step further. Your father was born on November 15th, 1932. And uh-huh. my father was born on November 3rd, 1932. <laughs> I would have liked to have been around in the month of November with them. I'm sure they. (laughs) And and, and I think they went into the army around the same time. Oh, okay. Yes. Yes. Yes, My father stayed in for 30 years. Yes. It must've been wonderful times at that particular period of time because my mother would tell me some of the things that happened. So now what what school did you go to? Starting oh, my goodness. elementary. Oh, my goodness. I went to, again, in Westbury Public School. My elementary school was uh, Drexel Avenue Elementary School. Uh, then from there, back then, and I'm not dating myself, but back then, you had you didn't have a middle school. You had a junior high school yes. and a high school. So yeah, then from there, I went to Westbury Junior High School, and from there, Westbury High School. And then from there, a a small private college in Boston, Graham College, major in communications. And then, gee, then coming back to Long Island and working again at my parents' business. Well, let, 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 let me ask you, what were your experiences in high school? Uh, was it an integrated school or was it a segregated school? Oh, yes. It was integrated in my high school. One of the assistant principals 
was not only African-American, she was a female. Her name was Doris Weber. There were one, two, three, maybe three black guidance counselors. It seemed like we all got along like one big family. I had white friends. My friends had white friends. It was a, a really good time, Stephen. And it wasn't until at some point, and I, I don't remember, I would say maybe I had to be 15, that particular summer in going out on the road with my father, we were in a town called Valdosa, Georgia. And my sandals, I had a pair the strap broke or the buckle broke, something broke. But anyway, we walked, we were walking through the town and there was a shoe repair shop. Put the sandals in there to get fixed. And about an hour later, we see the bus, we see my father's tour bus coming down the street, they're honking the horn, get in the bus, get in the bus, we gotta go, we go. And I'm like, I'm not leaving without my sandals. What, are you kidding me? <laughs> and my dad literally had to pick me and put me on this bus, Stephen, because I'm a shoe freak, have always been a shoe freak, <laughs> and I'm not without my shoes. And so my dad is pointing because you could see the, the KKK coming oh. down the street with the hoods, just chanting. And I was done for the next six months behind that because I had not experienced anything like that in, in being in the North. And where my dad lived there in Inglewood, New Jersey, at that time, he had neighbors that were, as a matter of fact, the couple that lived next door to him, it was a black doctor who was married to a white woman. So I know everybody didn't get along and there wasn't any place that I can remember being told that I could not go to until I went out on the road with, with my dad. And that's where I saw the, for colors only, for the bathroom and the water fountains. I think that's when things with me started to change a little bit because you become aware, you see it firsthand. And this, this is what is really going on out here. And that is probably one of the reasons why at that point, I was determined that I would never, ever be in show business. Not my thing. Now, what, 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 <laughs> I can have the scenes, anything. You're talking about, I'm sorry. You're talking about your family uh, having a business. What kind of business did they have? They had, at some point, they had a mobile gas station. And that was on Farmers Boulevard and Murdoch, on the corner of Farmers and Murdoch. And I actually, some coming home from school and on weekends, I would be out there pumping gas. And I would get tips. Guys pull up back then when you 
pulled into a gas station, there was always somebody that pumped your glass and they washed your window. They those were the days. The in the tires. Those, exactly. The, those were the days. So that's what I would do. And I would always get tips. Even I would get a bucket full of tips. And oh my goodness. My mom, and again, I call my stepdad, my father as well. They would tell me, you've got to share those tips with the guys that work here. And I'm like, what? <laughs> like, this thing, you had to be there. I'm telling you. But Teddy would be like, girl, don't be selfish. Do you know this is your property? This is your business. You don't need for nothing. Share. You have to share. I was like, I got to give up my tips. <laughs> and so I would <laughs> be like, oh, God. Um, and so I would, on, on the good side of that, Stephen, those guys that worked for us, they were real sweethearts because I used to drive from all the way to Queens to fill my gas tank up in my car and would stop and tend to my vehicle, or if they went to lunch, they would bring me lunch and I couldn't pay them for it. If something happened to my car and I called there and said, oh, my car, whatever, boom, they're right there to help. So that was the gas station. And then over on Merrick Boulevard, Merrick and 108th Avenue, they own the Queens Village Auto Radiator Repair Shop, and which that dealt with just the cooling system and the gas tank of your car. And then next to that corner piece of property, there was a two-family huge house. And for whatever reason, I, I don't know, the, the people that own the house lost the house and it came up on the city auction block and I bought it. And my mother and I ended up putting our used car lot there. And that was L and D auto car sale. And so that, that was our corner, that was it. Now, you go from high school to? Graham was, and I say was, Graham was in Boston. It was right there on Commonwealth Avenue next door to Boston College, ended up buying Graham College. And that is now their College of Communication Studies. We had... Um, the old Commonwealth Hotel there in, in Boston was our dorm. And we shared that dorm with Boston College, Graham College, Berkeley School of Music. And we had a few students there from Northeastern and MIT. And I think only if they were sophomores because it was a distance to their actual campus. So most of them were able to have their car and drive back and forth. To have children, the best thing is to pack their bags and make sure they go away to college. If it's just for one year, that experience is, is, is wonderful. <laughs> 
And what, what did you study? Communications. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Did, did, did you, in getting the degree, you got a degree in communications? No, I did not. I froze when it came time to do the microphones frightened me. And I share, I don't know why I'm sharing this with you, but this must be some form of therapy for me. Oh my God, Stephen, they frightened me. They, they really do. So that was not going to be my thing. So I am a business um, major and a paralegal. So it all worked out. And I, I never thought then that many years later that I would end up doing interviews and becoming the chairman of the board of the North Carolina Music Hall of Fame. So with that speaking and, and even in my job of 25 years in the human resource department for UPS, having to public speak at, at public functions, I just, I freeze up once they put the microphone there. If you don't give me a microphone, I'm good. You're good. You're good. Now, here you are. College degree. Did you, uh, you graduate from college? Mm -hmm. I'm looking at you. You're fine now. So back then, <laughs> this fine woman come out. Where did you go straight to UPS or you went to someone else somewhere else? No. I went to my parents. I, I, I worked for my parents. Yeah. I'm telling you, Stephen, my parents were, don't worry about it. You want a job? Come work for us. And that is exactly what I did. I, and, and that, that was so was, convenient. That was really convenient to be able to know that you yeah. got a job no matter what when you came out of school. <laughs> That's right. That's exactly. My, my mom and uh, Teddy, they were entrepreneurs. At some point, they owned a nightclub, although I never worked behind the bar of their nightclub. But what I was, it, it was the Smiling Horse, not necessarily that particular club would not be the type of club that you and your significant other or me and my significant other would want to go to for a night out. It was a community place, not so good community, but a community place. They owned another club out in Glen Cove that is where they had live entertainment. And I, I was much younger then. That, I loved to go there on Saturday mornings with my mom when she would go and make sure the people were there to clean up. Because normally on Saturdays, that's when they had the live entertainment. It was something just very magical about that. And as a kid, you, you can't go in there. But as I got older and going in there and then really realizing the work that my my father did, it was all very amazing to me. Now, how was it going up with two fathers? Was there any conflict of, <laughs> uh, 
of jealousy in terms of affections for you? <laughs> oh, my goodness. <laughs> Steven, <laughs> listen, I, there are times today when I sit down and I, re, I go over my life and I just bust out and start laughing. Like, seriously, it's, oh my goodness, because as soft as Teddy was with me, as soft and lenient as he was with me, he, I, I had everything that any child could possibly want. I got my first car at 16. When they stole it, I had another new car in Two days later, any piece of clothing I wanted, I got. Jewelry, I, I got it. I, I really don't know how to explain this, but it was done with a purpose. This is not something that you are given to make you feel that you could be better than somebody else. This is just how we live. And, and we care for people that don't have what we have. And so that, that was there. Now, with Clyde, with his career being at 100 and then dropping down to 50 and then dropping down to 25, it was frustrating for him. But at the same time, when he could no longer drive, I had my car. And if he called and said, I want to see you, I want to spend time with you, I jumped in my car and got across George Washington Bridge. If it was anything that he needed during that time, my, my stepfather and my mother, they were there to help him. So... With this, with Teddy wanting me to have a stable life, he would get angry with Clyde if, because when I was younger, if I was there for the weekend with, with my father, Stephen, I could end up in California. At some point, my dad had me in London. And they coming back on Sunday to get me and the house is dark. There's nobody. Where is my kid? Like, you're where? Like, so that was the conflict. They, wait a minute. If you can't, you know, do Friday, Sunday, then it's nothing. Because this is not the way she should be. So with that, but then when my dad really started being in that state, I have to tell you, Teddy was the man. It's worse to meet a woman <laughs> that has a child for Clyde McFadder. Those big shoes to fill. And he, he filled them. He was a good guy, both of them. So they would never bicker in front of me. You do have a brother. I do have uh, a brother. I saw that you now, were there with him last week. And you saw that, yeah. Yeah. And so my brother and I, we just came together maybe about 15, 16, 17 years ago. We have different mothers, but we get along 
fabulously. I'm so happy that I have a brother. Yeah, his his mom is Ruth Brown. Mm-hmm. Yes, that's the one. Oh, yes. wow. I used to have an office at 250 West 57th Street. I'm coming out the building. And oh, wow, it, okay. Here's Ruth Brown walking past. And she stopped and she started talking to me. And we talked for about a half an hour. She was a sweetheart. Yeah. Yeah. When you left your parents' employment, because at, at some point you left their employment. Yes, I did. Yes, I did. Was there a particular reason why you left? Or is that private? No, I, why did I leave? Um, oh, I know why I left. Someone called me and said, Deb, there's a, there's a counseling um, position available. And I, I, I was intrigued by it. I got the job and I loved it. I loved it. However, at some point, they brought a patient into my office and it was on a Friday and that would have been starting my vacation. So when I got off from work that Friday, I would have been on vacation. At that time, I had long hair and always wore a ponytail to work. And as I was moving the chair for the patient to get in the chair, the Mahata brought the pain in, I heard him speak. And that was something that he had not done since he had been admitted to Creedmoor Psychiatric Hospital. And by that time, I was trying to back up because you're trained to know when they do something that they have never done, something is getting ready to happen. And he grabbed that ponytail and just beat me into Queens General Hospital. And so I was out of work for about a month and a half. And when I went back, I had that fear in me of mentally uh, disturbed people. And I knew I was like, this is not going to work. There was a time where I would go to work. I felt no fear. And at that time, I smoked cigarettes. And Creedmoor made their own cigarettes. So I always kept a drawer in my office that had Creedmoor cigarettes in it. Of course, I didn't smoke them. I was a cool smoker, smoke cool. So if it wasn't a cool, I wouldn't smoke it. And, and patients would walk by and, hi, how are you? And they'd come in. I never feared that. If they smoked, I would give them a cigarette and they would sit down, smoke a cigarette, and we'd chat. And they'd go on about their business. And so when I came back, I gave in my letter of um, resignation. And so that was that. So I went back to work for my parents. This is where my mom and I opened up the used car lot. So we got our dealer license. And I love going to the auctions. It's just, it was just so exciting. How did you get to... Um to UPS, or is that, or, or is there to, other places that you went to before you got to UPS? No, it was just a lot. And then that was going very well. 
I had a child, my, my daughter, her, her name is Dama. I, I had, by this time, my daughter, I believe she was probably about two, maybe two or three years old. And she kept getting the runny eyes and all that. So took her to the doctor and she had very severe allergies and asthma. And so my doctor sent me to a specialist. So going, the first appointment with the specialist back then, and this was like in 80, geez, maybe 84, 84, 83, it was like $175. I was like, oh my God. So they treated her and the specialist said, I'm pretty sure that she will grow out of this and up. But I was going back to him like every week or every other week. And I said, you know what? I need a job that offers health benefits. So I, and I said, if I got something part-time, I would have the time to still do my auction, my car auctions, and still work with, just out of the clear blue sky, one day I picked up the newspaper and I saw where UPS was hiring. Now, I had no idea what UPS was. Like the, you see the brown trucks and all that, I am not a clue. So anyway, I went, I filled out an application, but I knew someone that worked for an employment agency. And she told me, she said, Deb, she said, whatever you do, she said, don't let them know that you have a degree. She said, you're looking for benefits. You're not looking for a career. You're, you're looking for benefits. I said, okay. So when I omitted, didn't put any of that, I may have even put, I was college, the high school dropout. I, all I want to do is get in there for four hours a day, or maybe for two, three days a week and get some benefits and that's it. And so that's exactly what happened. About four months later, one evening, about 8.30 at night, my phone rings and this voice on the other end of the phone said he was calling from UPS. I cursed him out, told him <laughs> UPS doesn't call people at 8.30 at night and I'm not expecting any damn packages. And it was hilarious. And so the person that I was talking to, his name is Rosie. And he was at that time the person in human resource that did the hiring. It looked lady, I'm telling you, if you want this job, be here tomorrow and, and it, your guard booth at this particular location and wait in the guard booth until somebody comes down to pick you up. As soon as he hit the door, Stephen, and he looked at me, I knew I had the job. <laughs> and so we go up to his office, I fill out all the paperwork, and I, I just knew it. He never asked me, he kept looking at my name. 
But he didn't, he didn't say anything, but he kept looking at my name and he said, McFadder. He said, yeah, M-C-P-H. And I, and I would say, yeah, A-T-E-R. And he sent me over for my physical. I took the physical and he gave me a date to start work. And the rest was history. The timing that I worked, I started in customer service, which was right there on Old Country Road at that time where the Roosevelt racetrack was. It was a car auction there on the other side of it. That's one of the places where we went to buy the cars. It was a marriage made in heaven. And then one day... The Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Now, nobody knows that Clyde McFadder is my father because I have I tell nobody unless you ask. Mm-hmm. And so now the, the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame is doing their induction. And of course, he's being inducted. And so I went to my manager and I said, oh, I said, I need whatever day it was. I, I need that day off. And she said, oh, she said, she said, you just started and I'm not sure if I can get you the day off. And I said, could you see and then let me know? And so day or two later, she came back. She said, no, no. She said, they're not going to let you have the day off. And I said, oh, gee, that's really too bad. I said, because then I'm, I'm going to have to quit because I have to have those two days off. And she said, is it a family emergency or whatever? And I said, my father is Clyde McFadder and the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame is inducting them into the Hall of Fame at the Waldorf Astoria and I have to be there and I need the day after to recuperate. So I can't come to work on the Friday, but I'll be back on Monday. She, Stephen, this lady, she looked at me like, we knew, we had a feeling that you were related to Clyde McDowell. She said, go, you got the day. Don't worry about it. We'll see you on Monday. I'm going to bring somebody in. Oh, great. I'm going to bring somebody in to be able to talk more about that. I think both of y'all served together. While we wait for him to come on, your father was inducted twice, from what I understand. Yes, he was. The first time he was inducted, he was inducted as a solo artist. The second time he was inducted with the group, the Drifters. He was the founder of the Drifters, along with Ahmed Erdogan. So those are... Honors are really great honors. And then he was inducted into the North Carolina Music Hall of Fame. And so that was in 2009. So that brings me to the point where now I'm chairman of the board of that organization. When you went to the Waldorf and you're among all these people, and did you have to go up and and, and say no, something to collect the award? No, I didn't. There was Lena, who was one of my father's wives, and we really did not see eye to eye. So at some point in dealing with her, you have to have a different strategy. So you let 
her go right ahead because I have a plan. Without going into detail of that, she did. And that worked out. It it worked out good. Hello, Ken. Hey. Hey. Hey, I just happened to be in the neighborhood. Don't tell my wife. I'm seeing my favorite girl right now. (laughs) I, I know. And you know what? And, and she would probably say, oh, good, it's Debbie. Yeah, I know you guys are probably talking history. Can y'all see me at all? No, we can't see you right no, now. we can't see you, but we can hear well, you. Well, you know, might be best. So anyway, I, I just think... <laughs> um, tell, tell me, how did the two of you all meet? Did you meet at the Hall of Fame or did you meet before? Yeah, we met at the Hall of Fame. Mm -hmm. Debbie was down to pick up the award. Was it for your father or was it for the girl group? You know what? I think it was the year after my dad was inducted. I believe it was Shirley Austin of the Shirelles that I was there to represent her, to get her award for her. Yeah, and I met you and I believe it was Thomas. Yes. And there was another gentleman that was singing with you right. at that time. I don't remember his name. Yeah, so name I haven't heard in a long time. Shirley Austin. Yeah. 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 I used to know Shirley quite well. But yeah, that's, that's how we met. And I was honored because when I found out she was the daughter of Clyde McFadder, then I said, oh, uh-oh, I know somebody famous. It's been a beautiful relationship because she's the chair chairman of the board of the North Carolina Music Hall of Fame. And she has done some wonderful things by taking us in the right direction. And hey, I'm honored to be called her friend. Ken, I was telling her, we started the broadcast off by saying to her that we had a connection. And the connection was her father and my father were best friends while they were in high school. Oh my God. (laughs) Something. And I didn't know that until my mother told me that maybe two or three years before she died. Oh, Although man. I had heard about the relationship with Clyde McFadder years before, yeah. but my mother went into details mm-hmm. before she died. <clears throat> That's awesome. That is so wow. awesome. That's so cool that you guys it, have it connected. It really is. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You never know what happens in life and who knows who. I I always tell people, never talk about people because they will come back and say, that's my cousin. (laughs) Oh, yeah. But I I, I thank you so much, Ken, for being on the broadcast and surprising Deborah. (laughs) I couldn't make it home in time to be on because I talked to Debbie yesterday and I said, hey, I got a doctor's Mm -hmm. appointment. Well, guess what? Yeah. I didn't. I didn't. See, I had to run out, but I couldn't get home in time. So I pulled over and uh, connected with you guys. But Deborah Steven is a wonderful guy. Uh, yes. Very yes. articulate. I'm happy that after all these months that I'm able to be here and be on his show. That's right. That is right. I yeah, appreciate we're, thank- we're thankful, too. I, I- I appreciate it. And both of our shows now, we are on channel 49 also. You do it at YouTube. We're on channel 49 also. And channel 49 gets into 120 countries. Oh, wow. Yeah, You might not have a whole lot of people in a certain country, but you're in their country and they're going to talk about (laughs) somebody else because 
Donnell, who owns the station, says, oh, yeah, I get a lot of people from Nigeria that calls up. <laughs> oh, wow. So thank you oh, so much, Ken. And you take it easy. Tell all the rest of the guys I said hello. Bye. Okay. All righty. That was a pleasant surprise. Yeah, that was really good, cool. Good. Very good. cool. That's, that's my buddy. I want to know, what is the legacy of your father as a singer? In your mind? Uh, in my mind, um, an angel. Just an angel. If there's any such thing as being a misunderstood angel, it would have to be like McFadden. It would have to be. Yeah. 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 It's his legacy. If I allow anything else or anybody else to take control of that legacy, it would not paint a clear picture of Clyde McFadder. So my brother and I worked tirelessly to, to put the real Clyde McFadder out there to the people that shines with that voice that, that people hear and love. Yeah. Mm -hmm. now, did, did he get caught up in not owning his masters himself? Very much so, yes. 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 Is yeah. there any struggle in terms of make, getting ownership of the masters or you do own him now? The, no, I do not own them. It is a struggle simply because of the individual that he was married to at the time of his death has pretty much signed everything over to someone that had an office at 250 West 57th Street. Um, I, I won't call any names. I'm sure, I, yeah, probably your office was right next to his office. Oh, what a fight. I've, I've been fighting Stephen since 1984, since he first went into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. I have, when I tell you I've been fighting, I have spent thousands and thousands of dollars trying to sift through and get accountings of accountings of that. Ahmed Erdogan, I, I remember my first conversation with him. I was so angry. I went home, I picked up the phone, called information, got the phone number and lady answered and I said, hello, I would like to speak with Ahmed Erdogan. And the lady said, hold on one moment. Phone rang, another lady answered the phone. She said, hello. I said, this is Deborah McFadder. I would like to speak to Ahmed Erdogan. She said, hold on one moment. She puts him on the phone and he says, hello. I said, you don't know me, but my name is Deborah McFadder and I'm Clyde McFadder's daughter and I need da 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 da. And he said, he said, Okay, he said, why don't you come into the city and we'll have dinner and, and we'll go and see Bobby Short. Stephen, 
I, I looked at my phone and I said, Mr. Erdogan, I have never been short of a meal, dear. I said, I'm not calling to get fit. I'm not calling to have drinks. I'm calling to find out where my father's money is going. And he snapped out of it, paid attention. And so I was able to get get steps further at that time. So that was a, a blessing. But sometimes, Stephen, these companies, they think they can just throw stuff at you and it's going to be okay. I'll give them whatever. I've ran across people that were shocked that I could speak two sentences. They don't think that the children of these musical icons have a brain or it's just, it's sad. It's very sad, but you have to be persistent. You have to stick with it and just work it. Just don't give up. My other question, what is the mission of the North Carolina Music Hall of Fame? <clears throat> and what direction are you looking to go into? Well, our mission is to preserve the music and to honor all of the talent that comes out of North Carolina and to put it out there in the school, make it history, let people know who, who these people are, give them their just due. And, where I want to take it is for all the music genres to be recognized here in North Carolina, because it's amazing the people that were born here that are in the music business. It's crazy. And so that's what I've done. So now instead of, okay, so when Clyde McFadder was inducted in 2009, the majority of your Black inductees were deceased. And if they weren't deceased, they had no representation there at the induction ceremonies. That was horrifying to me. As, as happy as I was for my dad to be in there, my first visit, I just that night sat around and, and I could feel this is not right. But even with that, I had no intention at that time of ever moving to North Carolina, let alone connecting myself with the Hall of Fame. And just over the years, um, as fate would have it, here I am. You never and know. With the help of cannot. That's right. Yeah. You never know. But we've got, Stephen, some great inductees um, into the Hall of Fame. Grady Tate, Nina Simone. I don't know if you remember John Tesh. Uh, yes. Andy Griffin, Kate Smith, Jodeci. My goodness, Anthony Hamilton. Just the, the list goes on and on. And, and there's Shirley Caesar, Benny King. Oh, wow, wow. Grady Tate. I remember when Grady Tate used to play on 55th Street, right around the corner from 250 West 57th Street at Possible 20. Yes. <laughs> I've never been in there, but I remember seeing it. Yes. 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 He used to be, he used to play drums there. 
uh, yes. on, on Friday nights. <laughs> yes, yeah, life is well, you, you know, um, when I first saw that you were the chair of the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, North Carolina Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, and I saw that you were from Long Island, I'm saying, how the hell did she become the chair of North Carolina? And then I realized your father was born in Durham. <laughs> well, I, I must tell you, it's just been such a pleasure to meet you. And when I first, Ken Knox first told me about you being the chair of the board, and I remember my father was good friends. It was like, oh, I, I, I need to meet her. I need yes. to be here. So it and was I'm just so a pleasure to meet you. And thank yes. you after all this yeah. long time of being on. I on know. And I, I know. hope you come back. I was just getting ready to tell you, now that I feel great, I, I, I feel good. I'm, I'm getting back into the swing of things. So all you have to do is call me, send me a message, and I'll log okay. on. Yeah. I might some, have some other things that I might want to call upon you to do, you know, Wonderful. as we're Wonderful. going forward. And I'll tell you about uh, uh, some other time. OK, mm -hmm. yes. And just so you know, we at the North Carolina Music Hall of Fame are planning a Legends concert for 2022. I will give you more information about that. It's going to be. Ken Noxton, chairman of the board, and it's going to be my brother with his Clyde McFadder Drifters featuring Ron McFadder. It's going to be an awesome show. Oh, fantastic. Okay, mm -hmm. folks, that's yeah. it. The show about stuff, the Stephen Davis show. Wonderful episode, and we'll see you next week with another wonderful topic. Bye. Thank you for tuning in this week. Hope you enjoyed this show about stuff. See you next time. I'm Selwyn Jones, the uncle of the late George Floyd. In my nephew's case, in his death, he didn't have a choice. But with COVID-19, we do. Hi, I'm Shelley Clark-White of The Honeycomb and co-host of the sensational podcast, that's my story. While we all understand the discomfort of wearing a mask and receiving a vaccine, please recognize at this present time, the only solution to fighting this deadly virus is being vaccinated and wearing a mask because we cannot afford to do nothing. Hello, my name is Lorelei McBroom. I'm a professional singer. I've worked with Pink Floyd, the Rolling Stones, Nile Rogers, and presently with the McBroom sisters. The facts are 99.5% of all COVID deaths are among those who are unvaccinated and who refuse to wear a mask. Hi, and I'm Ken Knox of the group chairman of the board and co-host of the awesome podcast, That's My Story. So why play Russian roulette with your life and those of your family? COVID is real and it is on the rise. It is not going away unless we as a society together save society. And I'm Stephen Davis, the host of the show about stuff, the Stephen Davis show. That means that at this time in history, getting vaccinated and wearing a mask for all of society is all important. The life you may save not only will be your families and yours, but more importantly to me, my family and mine.
do us a favor. Get vaccinated. Wear your mask. Please. 